Hello, my name is Dean Bobar, and I am the Adult Life Minister at Christ Pacific Church in Huntington Beach, California. As a church, we are seeking to cultivate a vibrant community of faith, hope, and love that follows Jesus into the world so our neighbors may also experience God's goodness. You're listening to our Year in the Bible podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us or to subscribe to this podcast, visit us at cpchb.org. In September, we are now beginning to make our way through the prophetic books. On our journey through the Bible, we are arriving at a very significant book. This large book, the third largest behind Psalms and Jeremiah in the Old Testament, spans the whole period covered by the writing prophets and is the most quoted book in the New Testament behind the Psalms. What is the book about? Well, it concerns the judgment and salvation of God's people so that they can be transformed to take part in God's glory and plan for the world. Let's unpack this summary of Isaiah together. A great place to begin with any prophetic book is to situate both the prophet and the book within history. We can understand each prophetic book as dealing with certain religious and theological themes and addressing particular social and political contexts. These themes come out of the history and religion of Israel, and these contexts have not only political but also social dimensions. There are three historical periods the writing prophets spoke to. First, the Assyrian period from about 750 to 612 BC, which is concerned with the rise and domination of the Neo-Assyrian Empire, meaning the new version of it, including the Assyrian conquest of the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 BC. Next, we have the Babylonian period from uh, 612 BC to 539 BC. And it focuses on the rise and domination of the Neo-Babylonian Empire, including the Babylonian conquest of the southern kingdom of Judah in 586 BC. Finally, we have the Persian period, circa 539 to 400 BC, which is focused on the rise and domination of the Medo-Persian Empire, sometimes just called the Persian Empire, including the return of the southern kingdom to the Promised Land, beginning in 538 BC, and the rebuilding of the temple in 516 BC. The book of Isaiah addresses all three historical periods. Chapters 1 through 39 focus on the Assyrian period, chapters 40 through 55 the Babylonian period, and chapters 56 through 66 the Persian period. Isaiah himself lived and ministered during the Assyrian period, having about a 40-year prophetic ministry from about 740 to 700 BC, roughly. As a prophet, Isaiah acted as a spokesperson for God. You can think of the prophets as microphones for God in one way, and communicated God's will to God's people. God's message to the writing prophets concerned the conduct and future of God's people in light of God's promised future. Like every other prophetic book, Isaiah is about a drama that moves from judgment to hope. The judgment comes in response to the unfaithfulness of God's people to the covenant God made with them through Moses at Mount Sinai, going all the way back to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
The hope revolves around God's promised future after the time of judgment, a time of salvation and restoration for not only Israel, but also the other nations as well. When you read the prophetic books, the prophets will either be speaking about this judgment, the judgment itself, or indictments for covenant failure, or encouraging God's people to repent, or this hope, God's promises, or God's instruction for living. And so those are the two great poles that the prophets work back and forth between, between judgment and hope. If you keep that in mind, it'll help you make sense of the prophetic books. So in Isaiah 1 through 39, the dominant note is that of judgment, and the rest of the book stresses the hope. It's important to remember, however, that themes of hope shine through the first part of the book, and judgment also comes up in the latter part sometimes too. God's judgment comes because God's people in the southern kingdom of Judah are deeply involved in idolatry and justice. We hear in the first verse of the book that the vision is concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In particular, the people are indicted for pride, improper worship, and social and economic oppression of the poor by the wealthy. The judgment comes in the form of Assyrian oppression, conquests, and invasions. The purpose of God's judgment is to discipline and purify God's people. And this is where the theme of the remnant comes into view. God sovereignly preserves a remnant in and through the judgment to remain as God's people and to be the bearers of God's promises for Israel and the world into the future. The overarching theme of salvation runs through all parts of the book and is even found in the name of Isaiah himself. Isaiah's name means the Lord is salvation or the Lord saves. The Lord there being Yahweh, the covenant personal name of God. There are many different ways God's Spirit led Isaiah to speak of a human figure who would be a deliverer or savior for God's people. In Isaiah 1 through 39, a strong emphasis is placed on a righteous Davidic king that will come in the future. Chapters 40 through 55 give us a picture of the suffering servant, a theme and portrait that Jesus and New Testament writers pick up to explain Jesus' work of salvation through his death and resurrection. Finally, in chapters 56 through 66, readers have sometimes seen a stressing of God's messenger in the plan of God as he works with his people. As you make your way through Isaiah, you might notice a tension. Portraits of the role of God's people to participate in God's glory and plan for the world are put side by side with a rebellious people. For God's people to take part in all God has for them, there needs to be a transformation. God will change his people through both judgment and salvation as God lays out his plan. A major contribution of the book is its presentation of God as the Holy One of Israel. The title, this title for God, is found some 25 times in the book and very few other places in the Old Testament. God is portrayed in his glorious and holy presence, dwelling among his people as their judge, their king, and their savior. As for God's people, they are seen and spoken of as Zion. This is a reference to the place where the temple was built and came to refer to the whole city of Jerusalem and even God's people as a whole. You can see the whole book as a drama of the Holy One of Israel with his people, Zion. God's desire is that his people would be transformed to be, become God's holy people, not only in principle, but also in practice. 
Let's explore now some of the themes and dynamics in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 27 through chapter 2, verse 4. And a good entry point into the whole book is to read chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 4. I think it pretty much lays out the overall story of the book. And the whole book of Isaiah is a very complex book. It's a lot to take in. Here are the verses. How the faithful city has become a whore. She who is full of justice. Righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Therefore the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers and like a garden without water. And the strong shall become tinder and his work a spark, and both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. There is a lot to unpack here. But what I would like to highlight is the themes of judgment and salvation and the transformation of God's people to take part in God's plan to draw the nations to himself. We can see here the emphasis on judging God's people for their idolatry and injustice. They're not worshiping rightly. The city is, the faithful city has become filled with unrighteousness. The words Zion will be redeemed by justice could refer to God acting justly in judgment or God's people repenting in order to act justly or both. The prophets exhorted God's people to repent and return to God again and again. This is the case here as God's people are given a picture of a better future on the other side of judgment. As followers of Jesus, we can see here glimpses of Jesus calling for us to be witnesses to all the world. Instead of the nations coming to us, however, Jesus sends us out to the nations as we see in Acts chapter 1 verses 1 through 11. And Jesus himself is now God's manifest presence in the world instead of 
the temple in Jerusalem. And in Christ, Paul declares that we, as Jesus' followers, are now God's temple on earth since Christ returned to heaven. See Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. You see, the world gets to experience God's presence in and through us as we walk with and serve Christ on our own and in community. We are on the other side of judgment and waiting for the fullness of salvation. And God has a great plan for us as his people. Thanks so much for joining us for our Year in the Bible podcast. If you'd like to hear more about our Year in the Bible campaign to subscribe or learn how you can become engaged with us as a church, please visit us at cpchb.org.